So next thing you know, you're getting into these camps where people are setting dates. And uh, there was a tragic, tragic thing that happened a couple of years ago where um, Dr. Harold Camping, a man who had a, a, a big, powerful uh, Christian radio station up in, in New Jersey that covered the whole Philadelphia, uh, almost up to New York area. And if he'd have just left well enough alone, he would have probably gone down in history as a great guy. But no, he was really big into to this whole prophecy thing and trying to interpret it through modern day means. And he got a bunch of people. I don't know how many, but a lot of people. They sold their houses. They emptied their bank accounts. They gave their pets away. And they were ready. Jesus is coming back on this day. Well, <laughs> didn't happen. Wow. So, uh, you know, camping goes back into the lab and, you know, comes back out and says, no, 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 I made a mistake. Uh, I'm a couple of months off. I did this and um, uh, added this when I should have subtracted that. And it's it's not going to be in, in May. Like I said, it's going to be in October. <laughs> well, October came and went. It didn't happen then either. Yeah. And unfortunately, this kind of stuff happens. And you read about Christians getting taken to the cleaners by some of these guys who come up with stuff. I mean, you know, Jesus told his disciples that not even the son of man knows when, you know, these things are going to happen. This is up to God, the father. And at the end uh, of, uh, well, the beginning of the book of Acts, uh, the end of the gospels, beginning of the book of Acts, when Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven, this is after his resurrection. And his disciples say, are you going to restore the kingdom now? Is this, is this it? And he goes, the times and the seasons aren't for you to know. They're set by my father and that's not your business. Your business is to go out and make disciples of the nations, you know, win people to Christ, get people saved, you know, build the church. Don't worry about when the end comes. We'll handle that. Mm -hmm. uh, but so many people want to handle it for him. <laughs> and like yeah. I said, and they go way off track because they're using tools that were not used by the people back in those days and times that read and understood these things. Yeah, it's it's like trying to use the scripture as a farmer's almanac is basically what uh, yeah, yeah what you're saying. And, and, and you know, and and this isn't exactly the same. But years ago, I was involved with a big Freedom of Information case in the state of Connecticut, and it all came down to this one particular uh, law that we were fighting in front of the Freedom of Information panel. It was all these like retired judges, and. Uh, it was my first foray into what was called legislative intent, right? And so I was working with a couple of lawyers out of a DC think tank on this. And we went back and we were able to find all of the uh, debate that went on the floor of the Connecticut state legislature from 25 or 30 years ago. I forgot what it was surrounding this particular law that was then written. And we were able to actually make some headway because we showed the way that the FOI court was interpreting this particular law was not correct based on the actual debate that went on that had been transcribed, you know, but with the legislators at the time when it was written. And we said, you're interpreting it wrong. This is how it's supposed to be interpreted because here's the Speaker of the House. Here's so-and-so. Here's so-and-so. All their legislative intent, what they actually intended by this piece of law. So I think what you're talking about there with going back in time and trying to put these 
as you said, the summer stories, summer poems, summer this, into context with the time that it was written is very important. Otherwise, as you said, you start trying to interpret these stories as if it's going on today. There's actually a little bit of narcissism involved with trying to interpret everything in the Bible as if it's taking place right now, today, you know, as if it's supposed to be in your life right now. Um, so how, how do you see like, how do you interpret it? What do you believe revelations mean? Do you do you fall into the category of it already came, or it's not done, or some is yet to come, or how how do you actually see it? Well, I, I kind of you know I'm going to hedge here because I've I've like I said been through all the schools of thought and come out on the other side of them now, and uh, like I said, some of them have some good things to say, some of them has some things that I don't really agree with. I think that, you know, when I look at prophecy of all the prophetic scriptures, whether it's Daniel or Ezekiel or, or Isaiah or, or uh, Zechariah or, or John, Paul, any of them uh, that are writing, I think there are certain things that we have to have a good understanding of before we can start even thinking about interpreting. Um, like I said, one is the use of the Old Testament in describing this in the New Testament. There are other things. We need to understand, as Christians, we need to understand the theology of the kingdom of God. When Jesus walked and talked on this earth, the thing that he spoke on the most is the kingdom of God, the time when God would rule, uh, when God would intervene in history and begin to set up his, his rule. And Jesus said, when he comes on the scene, the beginning of Mark, you know, the time has been fulfilled, you know, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe in the gospel. That Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God, the time when God would rule on his, in his first coming, and then it will be fully consummated at his second coming. But there's a lot more in between. Those are kind of like the bookends. Uh, there's a lot more about the kingdom of God that we really do need to to look at and understand. It's it's a vital part of end times theology. The other thing that we really need to look at, and no end times study is even beginning to be complete, unless you go back and you look at all the passages in the Old Testament that deal with the concept of the day of the Lord. Uh, now, you'll find, I think, in maybe 15 or 16 verses uh, the actual term, the day of the Lord, um, or, you know, Lord in, in many English translations is spelled capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And where that is all caps, that is the, the name of God, Yahweh. Uh, and, and so they, they put Lord to indicate that in the English translations. Um, there's a scholar, uh, his book I'll mention also at the end, his name is George Eldon Ladd. Uh, and he's got a neat little diagram that he uses, and I think it's really good. If you have like this horizontal line, and it, on the far left side, you've got this present age or this present evil age. And on the far right end of the line, you've got the age to come. Then you've got this vertical perpendicular line that comes down between the two, and that is the day of the Lord. And the Bible talks about this a lot. There are prophets in the Old Testament who wrote about it a lot. And not only do you use the term the day of the Lord, but there's like the day of God's anger or the day when 
you know, Yahweh fights for his people or whatever. So there's, there's many other expressions of the day of the Lord that are talking about that, but they don't use that exact terminology. Now, when you get up into the New Testament, it changes, and they start talking about the day of Christ or the day of Christ Jesus. Um, because as you go on in Revelation, um, you see him. He is reigning. God has, has given him the throne. Uh, and when he returns, you know, everything's going to be set right. Evil will be vanquished. Uh, righteousness will be vindicated. And everybody who was on God's side uh, will live with him forever. So, you know, my, you know, when I read and, and, and some of these books that I'm going to recommend at the end are written by people who are adherent, adherents of, to certain systems. I don't think systems are evil. I just think systems don't cover eschatology, end times theology well enough. Um, they, they focus on certain details. They focus on certain scriptures, oftentimes to the exclusion of scriptures that might call some of their things into question. Uh, mm. And eschatology is just too big. There is just so much to think about. And we narrow it down to a small system. And that's all we're going to think about this. And my system is right and your system is wrong. Uh, and and that's just, that's just ludicrous. I mean, you, you're missing so much. Eschatology is really interesting when you get into it, when you start seeing it go back into the Old Testament and see it in and some of the intertestamental writings and, and, and Second Temple literature and stuff. So I, you know, I'm to the place where, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I don't have a system. <laughs> I guess my <laughs> system is the, the no system, the anti-system. Um, I'm not, I shouldn't say that because I'm not really against the systems. I'm, I, and I understand that people believe them for the reasons that they do. I believed them at one time. Uh, it's not that they're wrong. I just feel that they all should expand somewhat on what they're saying. They're, they're too narrow in trying to define what is end times theology. It's much bigger and there's lots of stuff out there. Um, but you know, uh, it, it is what it is, you know, people, and, and, and I think if, if somebody is open-minded, if somebody trusts God to lead them, uh, he says, if you seek, you shall find. And I think that's been my case. Uh, I have gotten to see all of the systems, and I've gotten to believe all of the systems, and I've gotten to be taught by people from all of the systems. Uh, yes, I had questions that uh, left me kind of flat, and I had to move on uh, to something else, but you know, it's, it's given me a lot of understanding, and it's also led me to the place to where I will never argue the end times with anybody. <laughs> You know, because it's, it's, first of all, it's not profitable. It just, you know, it's, it's not doing anybody any good to get mad and yell at somebody because they don't believe the way I do. And, and two, it's not going to change anybody's mind. Well, you, know, you, you argue know, with me about I, I my would, end times. I would say this, though, Dana. It is you're not going to change my mind. I was going to say, though, it is quite profitable <laughs> for many of those late night guys you were talking about. <laughs> yeah, profitable for them. <laughs> I hadn't made much money off of it. <laughs> no, so, so, so I'm, I'm kind of a, you know, I'm, I'm trying to stay open minded about things. I, I, you know, here I am, you know, pushing 70 and it's only been within the last, you know, within the last decade that I really got into, you know, Dr. Beal and Dr. Heiser and, and starting to see things from uh, a completely different perspective that you, you've got to really be thinking about the day of the Lord. You've got to really be thinking about the kingdom of God. You've really got to be thinking about John's use of the Old Testament or Paul's use of the Old Testament 
or Jesus's use of the Old Testament uh, in talking about uh, end times things, and that um, to take uh, some scholar's interpretation, no matter how smart or righteous he might be, and say this is it, I think is is very very narrow. Uh, it's 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 a much bigger you know we, we to us eschatology is a little fish pond you know when it should be the ocean it's it's that big and that much depth and uh for most of us our end times thinking is you know uh an inch deep and not very wide so let me ask you though so uh, so how do you so how do you interpret it as of as of right now, though, I mean, as as far as has it already happened or is it coming? I mean, where do you, where do you find yourself? Um, I no, I don't. I don't think it's already happened. I think that um, you know the final end times Antichrist, whether that is uh, a person or whether it's a government or whether it's like I said a technocracy. Um, you know, I, I don't know how that's going to play out, and we're not really told. Now, Paul talks about the Antichrist as the man of lawlessness. So it's not wrong to think that this beast, this empire, whatever it is in Revelation, is not going to be led by one person. I mean, you know, I mean, I could use the example of, of Nazi Germany and Hitler. Mm. Um, you know, Nazi Germany, you know, could, could, could be like the system. But it has a leader. It has a face. It has a leader, and that face was Adolf Hitler. And that, that when the final Antichrist comes, when the final persecution of the church comes, and uh, he wants to be worshipped in place of Christ, uh, he's against Christ, he's against those who follow Christ, and if you don't do like he says, uh, you know, and, and acknowledge him, then uh, you're out. You know, you you got the you don't get the mark, and if you don't have the mark, you can't buy and sell. Uh, but you know, this happened too back in John's day and time because in that day and time, uh, you had you know new Christians for all intents and purposes. I mean, this is the first century. You know, the church was started right after Jesus ascended into heaven, and so you've got new Christians and. They were living at a time when there was emperor worship, Caesar. You had to acknowledge Caesar as Lord. Uh, Christians didn't do that, and they got fed to lions. Um, mm. There were uh, tra trade deities. For every type of job that you could imagine, there was a deity that was over that. And so if you were a carpenter, once a year you go to the union hall or whatever, and they say, okay, go ahead and say it. And you would say, okay, the trade carpenter trade deity is Lord. And they check your name off, and you move on. The next one comes up, and Christian comes up, and they said, okay, go ahead. And he goes, like, nope, I'm not saying it. And, uh, you know, and, and they said, well, come on, you don't even have to mean it. Just say it. Nope, nope, I'm not saying it. And, okay, you're getting hauled off to prison. So, uh, they weren't allowed to buy and sell. There were Christians who were starving to death. You know, uh, there were Christians who were thrown into prison. There were Christians who were treated in terrible ways back then. And like I said, so Revelation had a certain amount of comfort and encouragement for those people then, and it should encourage us now rather than scaring us to death. And most prophecy teachers want to teach end times theology to scare you. You know, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, the end times scriptures were not written by Stephen King. They were written <laughs> by the Apostle John, at least Revelation. 
uh, and other profits and, and things like that. So um, I think there is a future aspect to this. Now, I think there also, if you want to look at it in the big picture, again, this is a big picture. The end times began when Jesus showed up on the scene. Mm-hmm. When God became incarnate as a man, the hourglass was turned over and the sand began to run out. And it's still running out today. It may, you know, run out for another thousand years. I don't know. We're not told. God doesn't wear a watch. He doesn't go by our calendar. If if I don't agree with this assessment of things, but there are people who have said that looking at the generations listed in the Bible and adding a few years here and there, doing this, that, and the other thing, that the earth is only 6,000 years old. Okay, there are others who say, no, 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 no. We know things are much older than that. But let's just, just for the argument, let's just say that the earth is only 6,000 years old. Still, it took 6,000 years from Genesis to Jesus' coming. Okay, mm-hmm. um, or, or 4,000 years or whatever, you know, a long time. And it's only been 2,000 years since John wrote the Revelation. But we are 2,000 years closer than when John wrote it. And there hasn't been, um, you know, Christ has not come back. And I think that, you know, we're seeing things happen today. Um, I believe that, you know, and and I'm not trying to, uh, you know, step on anybody's toes here, but, you know, we're seeing things that are happening that are like with the tearing down of the Confederate statues. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to equate the gospel with Confederate statues. But here you have people who are tearing down these monuments. Um, and in reality, most of these monuments were put up, dedicated to Confederate soldiers who came from families who never owned slaves. They didn't have the money to. They were mm-hmm. dirt farmers who were barely staying alive. But these statues became symbols of hatred and oppression and they tore them down. Well, you know, when they get done tearing down all the statues, you know, are they going to start looking at the crosses on top of steeples on churches next? Is that going to become a symbol of, of hatred and oppression? And it wouldn't be very hard for that to happen, I don't think. And if you got people into a situation where, you know, like I said, I believe that the mark of the beast already exists. I think it's existed since John's day. It's existed since before that. You know, God knows who are his people. They're sealed with his mark. The beast, the devil knows who his people are. They're sealed with his mark. And that's going to continue on. Now, if they come around and give me a chip based on my theology that, well, this, this chip really isn't the mark of the beast, I'm still not going to take it. <laughs> you know, just in case I'm wrong, uh, I, I like to tell people who have different views of the end times with me that, you know, like I said, if, if I'm wrong when we get to heaven, I'll buy the coffee. But when we get to heaven, if you were wrong, you buy the coffee. Um, and uh, yeah, well, Dan, I mean, look, yeah, as far as a chip, you know, or implanting, a, you know, a Neuralink brain chip in the back of your skull or a chip in the front of your head or a chip in your hand, uh, whether that has anything to do with scripture or not, I would highly recommend that folks resist that. Um, second off, yeah. the, the, bad, the, the, the bad guys, you know, in simple terms, the bad guys that are running this technocratic prison planet 
slave system show. Who knows where they're getting their ideas from? They may be reading scripture and using that as their blueprint saying, hey, you know what? If we really want to be the Antichrist, we have to implant the chip in these people's foreheads. Let's go. Let's get this thing moving. So who knows what they're trying to do? Um, so that's that's, inter- that's, that is, that's a great point. It, I, I mean, That's look, how, I mean, how, how do you know, how, how would we know that they are not using scripture to try to fulfill the other side, that the majority of folks are obviously on the side of Christ? How do you know they're not using the same book to try to do the opposite or try to become the Antichrist or fulfill whatever they believe is their destiny? Well, the Bible is public domain. You know, anybody can read it. Nobody's got the, nobody owns the copyright but God, you know. So uh, who's to say that evil people wouldn't use that as their blueprint, as their uh, playbook? You know, I mean, you know, Mike has, has talked about, you know, many times how like with like with our CIA and extra governmental agencies like that, that they they worked their ill will all over the planet doing all kinds of things, assassinating people and, and just causing mayhem everywhere. And they finally said, we know, wait a minute, why do we have to go to some other country to do this? We can do this right here at home with our own people. And, you know, that they're, they're applying what they used to do to other people. Now they're doing it to us. And yeah, there's absolutely no reason in the world why evil forces could not say, hey, look, you know, <laughs> the, the Antichrist, he's, he's got it going on here. This is a good idea. You want to you want to take control? Let's fix it. You know they'll do what they we say, or they won't be able to buy and sell anything, which means you're out completely. You're you're going to die soon, yeah. uh, or we'll just kill you. You know, there's always, you know what? always a hungry lion around. You know, I think no, they, I think you've made a, an excellent point that 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 very well could happen, and I do not doubt that it will happen. You know, no, it's interesting. I'm, I'm glad we stumbled upon that because it, now it just popped into my head. I've I've been thinking for my whole life. 15, 20 years that I've been interested in, you know, corruption and and looking into this kind of stuff, that these guys like Bill Gates and Elon Musk that are really just the front men, you know, for the technocracy, that they are trying to play God when, in fact, maybe they're trying to play anti-God. That might actually be what they're doing. Uh, I always assume by them trying to genetically modify people and engineer nature and take a hold of everything that they're trying to play gods, they might actually be embracing the role of anti-gods that might be exactly what they're doing um another another quick question for you on that though so you said uh i don't know if it's your idea or it came from something you read but you had just mentioned the possibility of maybe end times began when jesus was born um was that that's something that, that you've come up with or something you've read somewhere uh it's Basic, I think it's basically, uh, it's biblical theology. Uh, it's, it's not something that I came up with. Uh, and I could go to a number of different sources that would say the same thing, that, um, you know, Jesus was God's promised Messiah. It was God in the flesh coming back um, to bring salvation to his people and, uh, and to start the ball rolling, as it were, towards the time when he would return the second time, the second coming of Christ, and do away with evil, vindicate righteousness, and 
recreate the Garden of Eden, so to speak, the new heavens, the new earth. Uh, and, and that's all something we have to look forward to. That did not happen in 70 AD. Now, you can say that uh, when Rome came in and um, destroyed the temple and, you know, you know that the scriptures say that when all that's supposed to take place, the, the, God is going to be saving his people. He didn't save the Jews when Rome destroyed the temple. You know, mm -hmm. they were scattered, and the Christians were scattered as well. Um, the resurrection didn't take place in 70 AD. Um, righteousness wasn't vindicated, and evil wasn't done away with in 70 AD. Um, so, no, this it's not my thinking. It's not my idea. But in the scope of all biblical theology, all of the Old Testament pointed towards Christ. And once Christ came, once Jesus shows up on the scene here, God in human form uh, to bring salvation and to inaugurate the kingdom of God, the time when God would rule, um, that took place at his coming. And it, like I said, at that, place, at that point in history, you turn the hourglass over and the sand is running out. We are moving steadily towards the end. Now, when that end will come, how much sand is in that hourglass, I wouldn't presume to say. But uh, but it, it is running out. And once it's run out, that's when Christ will return and, and things will happen. So that's not my idea. It's just an idea that I subscribe to, I believe. Uh, I've done a lot of reading and studying on the whole kingdom of God aspect, and there's a lot of good teaching about that. One of the things that throws us off when it comes to the, the kingdom of God idea is the fact that we see kingdom in geographical terms. When you talk about the kingdom of Henry VIII, people automatically think England. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the kingdom of, uh, of Nebuchadnezzar, well, they think Babylon. And in reality, the term kingdom is not a term that's assigned to geography. It's, it's a term that's assigned to time. The kingdom of Henry VIII was the time that Henry VIII ruled on the throne. Mm -hmm. The time of Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar was the time that Nebuchadnezzar ruled on the throne. So when we say the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, um, and they're synonymous. Matthew said kingdom of heaven when he wrote his gospel because he was a Jew writing to Jews. And Jews had a big problem using the name of God. Mm -hmm. um, Luke, in his gospel, was a Greek writing to Greeks. So, you know, he didn't mind saying kingdom of God. It wasn't an offense uh, any more than if we wrote a letter or we made some kind of communication with someone of a different race and we used a, a negative slur, a slang term for their race. Uh, it would be offensive to them. And so... Matthew, to not offend his audience, he's trying to win his audience to Christ and to show them that Christ is God's promised Messiah who came and, you know, and all that. So he doesn't want to alienate his audience and have them just not even read it because they're offended because he said kingdom of God. Um, so he uses the term kingdom of heaven. But in the big picture, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God are the same things. But we're not talking about heaven where God lives. The other side, the unseen realm, uh, as mm. Dr. Heiser puts it. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the time when God rules. And when Jesus stepped into the scene, 
he was the coming king. Yes, they rejected him. They crucified him. God raised him from the dead, and he ascended into heaven where he reigns over things now, and he will reign supremely when he returns, vanquishes evil, vindicates mm-hmm. righteousness, and sets up, consummates the kingdom of God. So you've kind of got this already, but not yet. The, the kingdom is here now, but mm-hmm. it's not here in its fullest form. So it's already here, but it's not yet at the same time. But I, I want to jump into something else that you you, you know you, you mentioned. We we're talking about this, you know, these these people like Elon Musk wanting to play God. Um, an interesting part of Daniel, um, Daniel chapter ten, and Daniel has these these terrifying visions, and uh, he, he's talking with angelic beings or uh, a being that maybe is the prefigurement of Christ before he is uh, incarnated. Uh, but it talks about this, this being that he's talked about, you know, talks about how he said um, that he has been uh, contending um, with the kingdom of uh, the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Mm-hmm. And that Michael, who is one of the chief princes, I say this term prince can be used of angelic beings, both loyal to God and those who are fallen angels. Um and then he talks about that when he's finished dealing with the prince of Persia, he's got to go on and deal with the prince of Greece. Well, we know that Greece was the kingdom that beat the Persians. Uh, the movie 300 depicts you know, part of that. Uh, and then Greece ruled until you know, Rome took over. 